So uh, let's go ahead and uh, begin. And we'll finish up here, this last part here. And I know we got the kids coming there towards the end to practice. So um, I want to go back to section four real quick. And there's a couple other things in here that I kind of want to shift focus on just for a brief moment. And uh, so it says here, it uses a word that's kind of interesting to me at the very beginning here. We talked about the marvelous work and kind of what was being restored as part of that marvelous work so far. It says, therefore, O ye that embark in the service of God. See that ye serve him with all your heart, might, mind, and strength, and that ye may stand blameless before God at the last day. So what does it mean to embark? Some of you may probably know this already. What does it mean to embark? To do what? A journey? Vessel. Say it again. Get on a vessel. All right, to get on a vessel, to start a journey, okay. The word embarking usually references specifically getting on a ship, right? Embarking. And uh, so when it's using this phrase here, therefore, O ye that embark in the service of God, you're, you're getting on a ship, you're getting on this, this vehicle to journey on. Uh, and I, I, I believe that it's referencing here as part of this marvelous work, that ship is, is the church. Those that are embarking on this journey that's begun, is going to begin here, there's, a, there's qualifications for this. If you're going to get on and be part of this, this crew, this ship, embarking, you have to serve him with what? Heart, mind, mind, and strength. Part of it? Most of it? All of it. Okay, all of it. That is critical. So too often... And I'm going to speak for myself at times here. I'm sure you can probably relate. How often do I hear, um, and I know what they mean by this, but somebody will say, well, I want to make the Lord a part of my life. And that sounds pretty good, right? But if you really break it down, the words give it away, right? I just want to make the Lord a part of my life. I don't want to make him my life. I don't want to make him all of my life. I just want to make him a part of my life. Here, it specifically says that if you're going to embark in the service of God on this marvelous work, this journey of the church coming forth, then you're going to have to serve him with all of your heart, your might, your mind, and your strength. And if you do that, what is the promise? According to the scripture. That's the only way you can what? Stand blameless before God at the last day. If you know about the work and the marvelous work, and you only give part of your efforts in it, you're not going to stand blameless before God because you know about the marvelous work and you didn't commit your all to it. Now that, I don't know about you, but that hits pretty heavy on me. There are times I know in my life that I have not given my all of my heart, all of my mind, all of my strength in the devotion to the work of Christ and of the, the restored gospel. That is problematic because I have to, I'm going to have to answer for that. So if you want to be blameless before God at the last day and you know about this marvelous work, you have to give your all. It can't be just part. And it, it's, it's easy to make certain sacrifices, right? We make sacrifices we want to make. We make those things and say, okay, I think I can give a little bit of my time here. 
And, and that's good. But we always tend to make the sacrifices that we want to make and not necessarily sacrifices that God wants us to make, right? I, uh, I shared something in, in our branch yesterday that I, I felt kind of uh, prompted to share. <clears throat> and um, <clears throat> what I wrote down here is I have, the Lord has not uh, called us necessarily, the call is not to sacrifice. I want you to listen to me out before you jump on that. You're called to be obedient. Sometimes you will have to sacrifice to obey, but if your sacrifice is not done in obedience to my will, it actually separates you from God. Now, I want you to think about that. Sacrifice is required sometimes in obedience to the things God has told you and, and things you know you should do in your life. Sometimes we just make sacrifices on our own that we just kind of want to make because it makes us feel good, but it's not necessarily always maybe what the sacrifice is that the Lord has asked of us. And so I think it's important maybe for us to stop in, in our personal lives and evaluate a little bit. What are the things that the Lord has actually told me and asked me to do and has given me in the scriptures that I should be doing as a member of his church, as a member of the priesthood, as a mother, as a father, as whatever. And what are the things that I'm just doing on my own because I want to do them on my own. And it makes me feel good. And it, and it may be good things. I'm not saying they're bad things. But what's required is obedience. And sometimes that requires certain sacrifices maybe that we don't want to make. This is one of those scriptures, I think, that kind of gets to the heart of that. If you're going to be blameless before God, you have to give all of your heart, your might, your mind, and your strength in the cause. Otherwise, you're not blameless. Yes. When I, when I think of that, I think of denying myself. Mm. And I think of the things that I do every day. And, and uh, if I'm going to stand blameless before God, that I've got to deny what I want to do and do what he wants me to do. And, and, and sometimes, you know, the, the thing is, is, is following the, what the Lord has, has told us, right? So um, um, I'll just give you some uh, general observation. I, I see a lot of people wanting to do really cool things for the Lord but their families are in shambles. And like the sacrifice that we're supposed to make is, right, to establish homes of order. We're told to be good fathers and mothers and teach them how to pray and teach them to, you know, it's important to, uh, and yet the homes may be in shambles, but we're going to do this really cool thing for the Lord. And, and, and sometimes it, it brings, you know, there's good things that come out. I'm not saying it's necessarily always bad, but sometimes our priorities, right? What has the Lord asked us to do? And, Obedience to that is critical if the marvelous work is going to go forward and produce what it's supposed to produce. Um, you know, our families are, are, are a big part of that, right? Our fathers, our mothers, the importance that they play in the roles. Um, having, teaching the kids how to pray, why we pray. Teaching your kids about the restoration. Why is the restoration different than the other? It's like Brother Oakman said, right? It's not a church, it's the church. Why do we teach them it's the church? Do we teach them about Joseph's experience in the grove? Do we tell them why, you know, God said that to him, that these other things, right, they're, they're, they're not right? Um, because otherwise it's confusing. Like, well, they're doing good things, and people are doing good things. But the enemy of the best, as Brother Oakman says, is the second best, right? The thing that takes us away from what could be in the presence of God in Christ if we're satisfied just being good and doing things that the world would consider to be good, as good as those things might be, 
is less than what we could be have or what we could live under in that privilege. And I, I really believe as Latter-day Saints, we live below our privileges. We live below what we could experience just because we choose to. Um, it's easier, it's more convenient, and this is what the scripture really is getting to, right? If you're gonna embark in this particular great and marvelous work, you have to give your all. That's what stands blameless. And if you have desires to serve God, it goes on to say, right? Ye are then called to the work. So that means anyone that has the desire, you're called. If you have that desire, right, the Lord is going to use you if you will let him, right? You're called to the work. And that means everyone, right? Brother Harry? Well, let's give the mic to you so that everybody can hear you. I had a good friend that uh, I used to know, and uh, he, uh, he wouldn't join the church. I tried to convince him to join the church many, many times. And he just, one thing he just couldn't understand was uh, the priesthood. Why you had to be called to the priesthood by God. He says, I, I want to work for God, and I know the Lord will want me to, to be working for him. And he said, I want to go to seminary, and I want to learn to be a preacher. And he never did, but uh, he never could understand that it has to be a call from God. And that's so very, very important, that uh, point of his gospel, God's true church. And um, I forgot where I was going now. <laughs> but that's the way it is when you get old. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Harry. Uh, Brother Everett. What's amazing is that the Reformation, the ministers of the Reformation prophesied restoration. They had to have a restoration. And it was Roger Williams, John Wesley, and John Calvin all said there could be no recovery out of that gospel Christ shall plant apostles anew. We want the old gospel back in the ancient order of things. And there was even one, I think it was a Brother White, another Reformation, who believed that the 1,260 years represented years, not days, mm -hmm. and that many things will happen in the 1830s. Yep. And the church came out of the wilderness in 1830, right? It was fed there for 1,260 days. Now, here's the thing that, that strikes me about the restoration and the message, right? We really, um, okay, we'll get our sister that I didn't see over there, and then I'll come to this. Okay. I'm behind a lot of tall guys, but that's normal, <laughs> and I'm short. <laughs> um, when we were talking about giving the restoration to other people, um, I know how valuable that information can be because my late husband, he was raised Catholic, turned Baptist, and then when we got together, my dad did the slides with him to get him into the restoration and he actually started to climb the ladder to Zion in his own way without trying to shove another religion on somebody else. So I thought that was really interesting that if you go forth in what you're supposed to do and spread the gospel the way you're supposed to know, you never know who you've converted or who you're changing to go towards Zion with you. Yeah, the, the gospel is personal and uh there are more people that are, are one through the personal aspects of the gospel than, than any other. And, and I've shared that with you. It's, it's your testimony. It's the life that you live. Uh, that's what bears the best witness, the light, right, of Christ is the life that you live. Um, and they see that through you, right? Uh, <clears throat> there, are, there are examples of this, and, and I, I, was, I think I've probably shared this with you before, but 
you know, the best example I had when I was, when I had a conversation with uh, a couple of the Mormon elders, um, you know, the first meeting was just, we believe this, you believe this, it was back and forth and, and we shared and it was cordial and everything, but there was, there was no, no power to change anything there. But the second meeting, when they came back the second time and they entered our home and they got right to the point, right? The second time it was, uh, well, after our first meeting, you know, why don't you uh, join the Mormon church, you know, who, and I know the Lord gave me just the right answer at the moment. I, I looked at him and I said, here's why I belong to the reorganized church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. This is the power of God that I've seen manifest in what's happened in my life. And I started sharing testimonies. And I shared the testimony of my baptism of how I saw a light and I heard a voice saying, you're called to my church. I said, I know it's the Lord's church because he called me to it. I heard his voice. I said, I know how God works because He's, he's, you know, he's worked this way in my life and shared a testimony about meeting my wife and how he laid that all out. I've shared testimony about my priesthood call. I, I shared multiple things. And as one testimony at the end, I just felt led to share another. I probably shared four or five testimonies. And I turned around and looked at that Mormon elder and I said, that's why I belong to the reorganized church. That's why I can't join your church. Because I said, I know that God moves and is alive and he's powerful here. And then I asked them, I said, so what is your testimony of why you belong to your church? And they were, they, I know they were caught a little bit off guard with that. And so they said, well, we, we belong to it because my folks went here. And we, they had reasons why they belonged to the Mormon church. And there were fine reasons. But what was very noticeable is they didn't have a testimony. They had reasons, but not testimonies. And... To have the testimony is the key because that's what keeps you anchored when you know and even when things don't look like they're, they're going the way that they maybe should, you have the testimony that you know it is right. And those testimonies with that one elder, there was one, two elders are there, one elder, I know that he felt that spirit because you could see him move upon him and he asked questions. The other one did. The others, he asked questions. Well, how did that happen? You know, he was interested. He left that place that night and he made an interesting statement as he walked out the door. He says, I know I'm leaving here with something greater than I had when I came. Now that's quite a statement for a Mormon elder to make. And he asked if he could come back. We had prayer together. Of course, they took him out of the area, so I didn't get to see him again. But I can't help to know that a, a seed might have been planted there. The point being is it's about the testimonies. It's about the personal nature of how the Lord works in your life. You know, doctrine is important, but the Lord told me specifically, he says, don't argue over points of doctrine. You testify the things you most certainly know and the assurances I have given you, and I will bless. And the key there is, is doctrine is important, but you're not going to win someone on the doctrine. You're going to win them on the testimony, the testimony of Christ and how he works in your life personally. Brother Justin, and then we have a hand back there, too. And that's, that's one thing that I've based my ministry on or whenever I come into contact with somebody because a lot of the people I come into contact with in life, the doctrine's not going to matter. It, you know, they're not the kind of people that care about doctrine. It seems like a lot of the people I come into contact with, it's about they need change in their life. And that's where the personal testimony comes in when you can share with them why your life's different, why it's better, why you have more peace, joy how you get through difficult times. And to me, that's what drew me into the gospel because for many years, I would go to church. I was born and raised in the church and I would go and sit and be bored and 
you know, just feel like I was going out of my mind sitting in a pew for an hour, you know, quiet. And when Jesus Christ became personal to me, that's when I was captivated. That's when I was caught. That's when I grabbed a hold of the vision of Zion, of the Book of Mormon. And that's what I try to share with people because that's what it was to me. It was personal. Mm -hmm. And that's what I always try. I always want to try and find a way to make it personal to the person I'm talking to. Yeah, the, it's, it's, the gospel is always personal. Even those who, you know, we talk about uh, the great missionaries going out and preaching the 70s and stuff. And they would preach the gospel. But what's interesting is they would preach the power of the gospel but the Lord's Spirit would always carry it into individual hearts in a very personal way. And that's what's in it. You read those testimonies. And they preached the fundamentals of the truth, but then the Spirit would make it personal in a way that nobody else could do it. And they would, you know, it would mean something to them in such a way that it would convert them to the gospel. And then they would learn the doctrine and things, but they were converted by the testimony and the personal nature of it. Sister back there. Uh, when my husband, before he retired, he worked at the newspaper, and they had another gentleman working there who was also a minister. And I feel like if you're an elder, you carry a different spirit than you do otherwise. And he made the remark to me one day, he says, I wish the people at work would treat me the way they do him. And I said, do, do you act? as well as he does and he said no because my husband is one that will set in with a group and enjoy and have a good time but at the same time this other guy was always a minister you could tell it he didn't belong to our church but he was always a man minister mm -hmm. and my husband was the elder which was very definite but uh, he definitely believed what he said Mm -hmm. And then my other testimony is on my mother. Whenever you said that the Mormon church, mm -hmm. she got a letter from her sisters one day, and she said, oh, Alberta, I found the fantastic church, and it was the Mormon church, and they were in Wyoming. And uh, mother found, she thought, in Alva, Oklahoma, she found the same church. And she was baptized, and I'm sorry, but my mom's gone. But uh, when she went to Wyoming with her sisters to see her sisters, they said, oh, you have joined the wrong church. And you talk about husbands and fathers that have no religious foundation. My dad, the only time he went to church was at Christmas for the Christmas program. And mother asked him if he could be, if she could be baptized, and re, if she could be rebaptized. And my father told her no. And of course, being a dutiful wife, she didn't do it. Much better than I am. But, uh, she was sitting in prayer service one night, and she heard her name, and somebody called Alberta, and they turned. she turned around and looked, and there was nobody there. And she heard it the second time, and she looked, and there still was no one there. And the third time, she knew who it was God. 
And he told her that, I'm sorry, that uh, it was no chance that she was baptized into the reorganized church because that's the way it was meant to be, that he had led her there. And my father, of all people, to be able to say, no, you cannot be rebaptized. what did he care? How many churches she belonged to? But he just put his foot down and said no. Well, one of the things I want to bring out here is it's important that we always bear a strong and affirmative, that's the key word, an affirmative, positive testimony of Jesus Christ. It says to contend against no church, save the church of the devil, which means you're not contending against uh, particular groups or things. Uh, it's, you're not against things. You're for Christ because you love Christ, and you want people to know what Christ has done in your life. And that's the thing. When you have that positive testimony, that's what wins people. It's, it's not a matter of going out there and saying, oh, you guys. No, it's about this is what I know to be true because Christ did this for me in my life. Here's how he brought my wife into my life, or here's how he, he brought me into this work. Or, but it's always in a positive, affirmative testimony of him. And that has the power to win uh, souls for the cause of the kingdom. And uh, if, you, if you're always about the love of him and not because you're against something else, you'll always be on good ground. It's got to be the right motivation, right? Um, and that gets a little bit to your, your uh, deal on charity there today, you know, uh, ties in with that, but I'll let that... Uh, be dealt with later. Um, I wanted to t uh, mention real quick here, um, we mentioned here that he that thrusteth in his sickle with his might, the same layeth up in store that he perish not, but bringeth salvation to his soul. And I, I think about that, you, you thrust in your sickle with your might. You get, how many of you uh, remember the old time farmers with the sickles? Okay, <laughs> there we go, we got some. Not that you used them, just so you know what I'm talking about, okay. All right, so the old sickles, right? They thrust them with their might. Why, why is that statement so important that you thrust in your sickle with all your might? The same layeth up in store. Right, if you did not do with all your might, you didn't cut anything down, did you? Nothing, it wasn't successful, okay? Uh, in fact, it was uh, quite the mess. And so it's just a, a statement here that... It, a reference, I thought, for the time period in which this came out, the importance of understanding, thrusting in your sickle with your might, the same layeth up in store, that he perish not and bringeth salvation to his soul. This isn't just about the soul of others, it's about your soul, right, as well. You know, we always think about bringing in the field is white and harvesting and bringing in, that's true, but it's also about your soul, right? Have, if you do something halfway, right, are you going to be very successful at it? No. Right? I had an old football coach, <laughs> Sean shaking his head, he knows what I'm talking about, it's his dad, and he would always tell us, right, he says, you can't ever win if you don't give your all, and you have to visualize ahead of time what you're going to be doing so that you can see when it comes, you're ready for it, right, and he says, if you do the small things right, the small victories will always get you the big victory but you got to do the small ones. And it's the same thing with the gospel, right? The small things are the important things. The prayer, the fasting, the study, the going to church, the family time, the serving each other. You know, things that we see as being maybe smaller in the comparison of the kingdom. Of what? But if you do those things, you will have the kingdom. 
right? So do the small things and do them with all your might and you'll have that. I want to share something with you. I don't know if you guys know this or not. We sing the Spirit of God like a fire is burning, right? All of us are familiar with this. How many verses do we have? Three verses in the hymn book. Okay, there actually is more than three. Right? There's actually six. We sing three of them, right? And this is one of the beloved hymns of the Restoration because it was sung at the dedication of the Kirtland Temple, right? After the Spirit of God, like a fire, was literally burning, right? And we know what happened at Kirtland there and how many people thought the actual building was on fire, even though it wasn't because it glowed with the presence of the Lord. And they sung this song, and we sing the first three verses, but we don't sing the second three. And what I find really interesting about that is we left off after verse 3, and that's because that's a, pretty much where the church left off. Okay? I'm going to uh, give you the other three verses so you know where we're, we need to go. Right? As part of this marvelous work. So... The first three we are more familiar with. Spirit of God like a fire is burning. The latter day glory begins to come forth. That's the marvelous work. The visions and blessings of old are returning and the angels are coming again to visit the earth. Okay? They experienced that in the early church in the restoration. Verse 2, the Lord is extending his saints understanding, restoring their judges and all as at first. The knowledge and the power of God are expanding and the veil over the earth is beginning to burst, right? Things are coming through through revelation, right? Never before. Man's understanding is being expanded. Verse 3, we call in our solemn assemblies in spirit to spread forth the kingdom of heaven abroad that we through our faith may begin to inherit the visions and the blessings and the glories of God. So we're beginning to spread through the earth. We're beginning to inherit those visions and blessings. Now, that's where we stop singing. That's all that's in the hymn book. That's kind of where the church stopped, ironically. The second three verses are what we don't sing and where we got to go. Verse 4, talking about the ordinances, will wash and be washed and with oil be anointed, with all not omitting the washing of feet. For he that have received his penny appointed must surely be clean at the harvest of wheat. Talking about the wheat and the tares. Verse 5. Old Israel that fled from the world for his freedom must come with cloud and pillar again. A Moses and Aaron and Joshua lead him and feed him on manna from heaven again. Talking about the priesthood. Moses and an Aaron and Joshua leading. Verse 6. How blessed the day when the lamb and the lion shall lie down together without any ire. And Ephraim be crowned with his blessings in Zion as Jesus descends with his chariots of fire. Heaven and earth coming together. The promise is given to Ephraim as the firstborn, right? Here in Zion. And then, of course, the chorus will sing, will shout with the armies of heaven, Hosanna, Hosanna to God and the Lamb. Let glory to them in the highest be given henceforth and forever. Amen and amen. On the very last singing of the chorus, I will note there's a small change. On the last singing, <clears throat> it says, shout with the armies of heaven is changed to shout with his armies of heaven. And they made that slight change in that. 
You can find this, by the way, in the Latter-day Saints Messenger and Advocate, number two, if you're interested. <clears throat> What's interesting to me about that is there's a vision here of what was being restored and where it was going. And we made it through the first part. We had those visions, those things that happened. But there's things that the Lord and the people understood it. They sang these songs. They understood what was coming, at least to some degree. Okay? That what is to take place is a cleansing of his people, a leadership of his priesthood, a cloud and pillar coming again, manna from heaven again. Okay? And that Jesus will descend with his chariots of fire as Ephraim is crowned with his blessings in Zion. There's some really tremendous promises being sung by the early saints of what they knew was to come. And I want to give you that vision in your mind because it says where there is no vision, the people perish. I want you to have that vision of where this great and marvelous work ultimately is to go, what it is to accomplish, that you have been given a stewardship as part of that through those who've gone before of this precious, precious gospel. Don't let it slip through your fingers. Right? They, I think the, they used to call it the pearl of great price. Right? The gospel is so precious. It's a pearl of great price that you need to hang on to with all that you have and press forward, right, with the, with the Spirit. I wanted to bring that to you just to leave you those thoughts because I think it's so important that you, you, you have that vision. They sung that at the Kirtland Temple in 1836. Why we don't sing it all today, I don't know, but we don't. But it is kind of interesting to me. That's kind of where we kind of stopped. And the things that we didn't accomplish, we, we aren't singing. We need to sing them so we have the vision of where we're going. So I just want to share that briefly with you here as it talks about the restoration, the restoring of, of these things. Ever. I was here a few years back when we started coming to the um, grounds here for Hemfest, um, and one lady had the junior class come up and sing the last three verses. Hmm. Good. Yeah. And there's also one verse when God is marching army was left out yeah. that pertains to us today. Yeah. Good. Um, so I want to kind of. Uh, take this moment here towards the end and give opportunity to, uh, if there's any questions or comments, I uh, want to give opportunity for that here before we close up today. I know our young people will be getting here shortly, so I want to give opportunity. Uh, is there any questions or comments anyone has or anything you'd like to share for, before we close? Brother in the back there. No, I thought it was great when you talked about with the Mormon missionaries. Um, I have them come around my house all the time. Yeah. And I'm really the only person in my neighborhood who they'll open up to. And I didn't know this at the time, but the president of the COC church actually lives in my neighborhood. Oh. And that's how I, I was like, the Mormons came in. They're like, hey, isn't your president in this neighborhood? And I was like, well, it's not to be my president. Yeah. But I said, so then I just started talking with them. And we got into great discussions. Yeah. And they're like, I never knew like people like you existed yeah. in this area. Yeah. You know, we're here in Zion and they know nothing about us because they never been taught about it. And he's sure. like, I'm going back home to Utah and I'm gonna tell everyone what I've learned. Yeah. And I, like you, um, you know, they don't come around my house anymore, 
<laughs> but I mean, I always, I always enjoyed it because I talked to one of them and, you know, I was like, hey, I'm not here to question your priesthood, Paul. Just like I wouldn't want you to question mine. I go, but I feel like it's a ranking system. And I told them what uh -huh. I felt. I go, you're 18 years old and you're already an elder, you know. Yeah. And they're like, well, that's just the way it works. And I'm like, no, it's not, not the way it works. <laughs> but, it, it, but again, we disagreed, but we still had a great discussion. Yeah. And he talked about, hey, we're starting to see where people are questioning things that we've been taught our entire life of the Mormon church. Yeah. We're learning new things. So, yes, we can be part of that. Yeah. I mean, it, it doesn't matter. Yeah. The name on the church doesn't matter. When Christ comes back, he's restoring his church. And none of that will matter. The, and the, that's why I think it's important that we have those discussions with them. Yeah, invite them in. Talk yeah. to them. Give those experiences because they give us their experience and their wonderful experiences. Mm -hmm. Sure, we don't agree on things, but mm -hmm. we're still part of the same. You just never know what, what seed will be planted, what things will take place. Uh, it's also interesting, you know, as you're right, there's a lot of things happening in, in the, the Utah church there where People are, are learning things they've never heard or seen or things before. And there's a lot of that happening. That's all the more reason that those in the, in the restoration, right, that we are demonstrating through our lives, our families, our branches, our actions, uh, that this fullness of the gospel, that there are some things you have been uh, introduced to, but let it, let, here's an example of how this can work, right? And uh, I think there's a great opportunity ahead of us if we're ready for it. And again, ready for this work, right, that we're talking about in section four, um, the time is becoming right for people seeking, uh, not just in the Utah church, but in other places too. And so uh, it, it's important that we know <laughs> what, we, what, what we're a part of and what was restored and why it was restored. So very good. Mike? Mike, have you studied the difference between might and strength? Might and strength? I have not I, delved into that. It, it always just yeah. seems strange to me that they're, they're almost synonymous, but... Maybe a little to, bit different there. There must be a difference in there There must somewhere. be, yeah. I need to delve into that. That's a good question. Yeah, good point. Sister over here. I, um, I'm going to go ahead and share this. I shared it with uh, Mr. Brown during break, but in being led to share with everybody else... Um, I was baptized when I was eight by my father, and uh, during my confirmation, I was told that I would have a darkness in my life, but I would always have a light that would bring me out of it, and I didn't really know this until after I had got out of the first part of my life, until... I came back to live with my parents, and dad's an elder, so I was still really worried because I've, a lot had happened, and I didn't know how to go forth from it. But I still feel like maybe that light was there. It just was really dim. It was almost an ember, but it was still there. But then when I ran into my late husband, who was um, very against the church, very against God, he just didn't know what to do about it and I remember we started just reading scriptures and listening to hymns and sooner rather than later he started to realize that God really is there and we were working our way up and then by the time we got married I felt like there was a light there that I didn't know was there before and then 
right before he passed away, he had said to me, Karina, your light is so strong. Do not make it go out because you need to spread that to everybody else. And I think the reason why I need to share this with everybody is because everybody has that ember or that spark. And even there may be other people who aren't here right now who have that. And they just need someone to light their ember or their spark to help them come to the center place and be here with us in Zion because they don't know what's here. But what happens if you witness and you be that light to them? How many will you bring into the church to bring them to Zion for when he comes? All right, I see our youth has arrived here, so we're going to wrap up here. Uh, <clears throat> want to thank each of you for your sharing and your testimonies. Um, let's have a word of prayer as we close today. Um, I'm going to ask, uh, actually, would you be willing to offer a closing prayer? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day, and thank you for all the things you've given us, and Thank you uh, for helping Michael with uh, the preparation of this class and um, uh, giving him the things that we need to hear. Uh, I ask that uh, you be with us for the rest of this reunion. And just press name, I pray. Amen. Thank you. All right. I know we got our youth here to sing. Uh, Justin, you got anything else you need to?